catalog and cocktails. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Here's your hosts, Juan Cicada and Tim Gasper. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails. This is a weekly live hangout, an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy at Data.World and joined by Juan. Hello, hello. I'm Juan Cicada. I'm the principal scientist here at Data.World. And always, uh, it's Wednesday, middle of the day, uh, middle of the week, and always glad to take a break and talk about data. And today we have a very special guest, my really good friend, and somebody who I admire and follow in his work for so long and read his books, Dave McComb. Dave, how are you doing? Juan, I'm doing great. I'm kind of humbled by that introduction, but thank you. <laughs> well, as we'll get into this stuff, I'll show everybody. Dave is an author of these two books, Software Wasteland and Data-Centric Revolution. And I think this should be mandatory reading by every single data professional in the world, period. If there's one book you need to go read, it's Software Wasteland. But before we get into that, a um, couple of just reminders, please. Uh, we're glad everybody is here. Remind us that, remind you that, Give us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. Uh, we really, really appreciate that. And also, we're very excited that we are partnering up with the folks at the Knowledge Graph Conference, which is going to take place this May 3 uh, to May 6, virtually. Uh, they have 17 workshops and tutorials, including like one-on-one -on -one topics, all the way to advanced topics for both the tech folks and business, over 50 speakers, plenty of network events, and a lot of fun, uh, fun events. We have keynotes by Samak Degani and Lazo Barabasi. And we're going to have a special edition of Catalog and Cocktails over there. Well, I'm going to be moderating a data architecture panel, uh, panel uh, with, with Samak uh, Daini from ThoughtWorks, Teresa Tung from Accenture, J.U. from Intuit, and Mohammed Osser from McKenzie. Um, so for everybody who's listening, you can uh, get your own ticket at knowledgegraph.tech. And we have a special 10% discount code. So if you use CCKGC, CC for Catalog and Cocktails, and KGC for Knowledge Graph Conference, CCKGC, get a 10% discount. Uh, Early Bird closes next Monday. So just a quick reminder, we're really excited that we're uh, partnering with the Knowledge Graph folks. So hey, before we get into the data, uh, what are we drinking? What are we uh, toasting for? Who wants to kick us off? Well, unfortunately, it's still uh, 3 o'clock in Mountain Time. So I'm drinking coffee. Hey, it's 5 o'clock um, somewhere, I'm, right? I'm toasting the end of the pandemic. I think, it's, I think we're done. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Yeah. How about you, Tim? Um, I am uh, switching from caffeine. I was drinking coffee about an hour ago to um, to some blood orange soda with a little bit of rum. Not bad. I, I discovered something new. I found this new whiskey called Awasolo, which is a corn whiskey from Mexico. So I made myself Juan's Mexican old fashioned. So you have this Mexican whiskey and with agave and it's, it's I'm enjoying this stuff. So, hey, cheers. That sounds the good. Pandemic is coming to an end. I know that for sure. Right. Cheers. And then we have our funny question of the day here. Debate. We're talking about is it a data centric revolution, a French revolution, American revolution or the Beatles revolution? What is it? <laughs> I don't know. The French Revolution is a little dark, right? Like maybe uh, Beatles, peace and love. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with Beatles. <laughs> no, Heads well, are not going to roll. <laughs> well, let's let's start off with the data revolution. 
and the data-centric revolution particularly. So Dave, honest, no BS. Uh, what the heck do you mean by a data-centric revolution when you write when you write the book and yep. everything that you've been talking about? What the heck does this mean? Yep. Honest, no BS. Yeah. Well, it means that that an enterprise has a single, simple, federatable model at its core, which is the complete opposite of what they currently have. Right now, most large enterprises have thousands of data models, each of which is complex. And that's, you know, they spend all their time screwing around with the complexity and it's not necessary. It is possible to have a single, simple, extensible model. So that's it. Simple, single, extensible model. Yep. That's it. Is and it that simple? So, so, so this is the thing. It's like, it, it, it sounds too good to be true. Is it like, can this be happen? Like, I mean, why aren't we there? It sounds very simple, but simple yeah. is always uh, hard to yep. get to. Well, the catch, the catch is that it's not something you can buy. And it's not something that Gartner is going to hype because you can't buy it. <laughs> and, and, and the other catch is it requires discipline. It requires discipline and, and a small group of people sticking with something for a long period of time. And that's kind of rare in, in business. But the, the people that have done that have succeeded. And that it's that simple. I see the the value of the word revolution here, right? Change seems to be the central theme here. Yep. And yep. it's definitely not going to happen overnight. And it's not something you buy. And it's a lot of the, it, it's a people and processes cultural shift, which is a lot of things that we talk all the time, right? It's people and processes, yep. not technology. Yep. So, okay. So let, let's dive into this more about the, what are the people and the processes? I mean, there has to be, there, there is technology involved, right? It's not just technology. Yeah. So right. let, let, let's, let's kind of, let's dissect this a little bit and let's go down to the technology part. So what, what are the technologies that are needed for the data centric, uh, to be data centric. Yep. You know, I, I explored in the book, there's a handful of people that have done this the hard way. You know, we, uh, Standard & Poor's division called Market Intelligence built, built a very beautiful data centric architecture and all of their applications. Everything is, is on a single model. It's not very simple in their case, but it is a single model that all functionality is, is, is implemented on. And it was with traditional technology. They did it all with the equivalent of, you know, stone tools, you know, relational databases and stuff like that. So, okay. So relational However, databases are stone tools here. Yeah, exactly. Clear. Exactly. <laughs> we, you know, Neolithic man used, used relational databases. We, we've kind of, we're in the anthropomorphism now. Um, but anyway, what, what is in, two or three orders of magnitude simpler than that, your, your question about the technology. We think there's, we think that it's a three-legged stool to do this easily and in your own lifetime. Uh, one is a knowledge graph. In order, to, in order to have the flexibility that you want, get away from rigid structures. Two is use semantics wisely. That's a lot of how do you get to the simplicity by being very rigorous about definitions and things just snap into place. And the third piece, we call it model-driven everything. So tr try to have somewhere north of 90% of your use cases uh, with no application code. 
Because if you do that, the economics of delivering stuff just, just plummet. The quality goes up, the productivity goes up. And you can't quite do 100% of everything model-driven, but you can, you can get a long way there. All right. So, so this last point that you're making is, is, is I think is key is right. Make everything model driven. Basically let's, let's make sure that we take out all the logic, all the knowledge outside of the code that gets lost and, and put that inside the model. Let's go back and talk about, and in your book, you talk about this, the application centric quagmire, which is like, mm-hmm. let, let's understand where, 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 how did we get into this? Like, why, why can't we, why didn't we start into this simple model? Like, where are we right now? What is the big mess that basically, I guess, every single up company in the world is in? Well, at least the legacy ones for sure. So we, uh, we planted a lot of microphones, secret microphones in boardrooms and recorded conversations over dozens of, no, we didn't really do that. But if we had done that, here's what we would have found. There's a, there's a factory at the heart of every enterprise that creates data silos. They don't, there's not a thing on the door that says, you know, here's the data silo division of Acme industry, but here's how you build a data silo. First, you say, we have a business problem. Then you form a committee to solve your business problem. And then the committee meets for a while and they decide, oh, it's actually an information problem which is about half the time, they, you know, whatever business problem, it's an information problem. They form another committee and then they sit down, how are we gonna solve this problem? And they think, they used to think they had two choices. Now they think they have three choices, but it's, it's kind of Hobson's choice. You know, it's not, it's not a real choice. They're deciding, are we gonna build something? Are we gonna buy something? Or these days, are we gonna rent something? You know, software as a service, are we gonna rent a solution? And the reason why none of the three answers make any difference, because whatever choice you pick, you get yet another data model. If you go buy a package, it's got a data model. You go build a system, it's got a data model. You go rent something as SaaS out on the cloud, it's got a data model. And that data model has no connection, no compare, no, no similarity to the other 5,000 data models you have. So now you have 5,001. And that's it. That's how, that's how you get there. You get there one, one silo at a time. You see, I think that's fascinating because obviously it's such the, the mode of operation right Mm -hmm. now, right? It's, in fact, it feels practical, right? It feels like Mm -hmm. we're solving, we're business problem focused. We're outcome focused, right? Yeah. In fact, so, if you're agile, you can build silos even faster. <laughs> you know, waterfall slowed down the creation of silos. It took you quite a while to build a silo and waterfall. Now with the agile, yeah, so are, you, are, are we saying that being agile is kind of is correlated with the silos? Oh yeah. So to be data centric, you can't be agile. No, you can be agile, but most agile, you know. You know, Jan Zosman, he, he had this great saying in one of his presentations recently. He says, you go watch an agile developer work and they're going to spend about one neuron thinking about how is what I'm doing connected to the rest of the enterprise. It's not that, it's not that agile can't work. In fact, I think you should build data-centric agilely, but your average agile person is just going to solve the problem immediately in front of them. 
and they're going to build the least amount of data structure they need to solve that problem. And that's another silo. This goes into, I think I brought this up in past episodes, is this, this balance between being efficient and resilient, right? Yeah. So, so we, we think about solving problems in an efficient way, which usually that's kind of correlated to short term. Like I can go buy this thing here, do this quick. I'm done, right? A problem solved. Yeah. But hey, how is that going to affect or impact this other system that they're doing right now in parallel or they're going to go do tomorrow, which we have no idea. And then we just mm-hmm. keep doing this. So we don't plan for being resilient. But what is that balance, right? Can't, can't, is, there an, is, there a, is there a balance we can do? Or we're yeah, always do you have to lose side? efficiency to become anti-fragile or whatever phrase you want to use there, right? Yeah, you know, in, in, in a way, the Agile guys are, are almost shining a light on it. You know, they have this, this idea they call technical debt. And to them, what technical debt is, if, if in this sprint, I do a hack just because I had to get something done for the sprint, I tally one up for technical debt because I know I got to go back and refactor that later. What they, but that's technical debt in their lane. If they lifted their heads up a little bit and, and looked out a little, they would say, ah, what I'm really doing here is integration debt. Every time I create a new data structure, I've created integration debt because somebody is eventually going to have to come back and integrate it back with all the other stuff. Not me. But you know, I've just I've just created a problem for somebody else. Uh, I, okay, this is this is key, and I think that I, I, this is the first time I'm I'm thinking about this together. The technical debt and realizing it's really integration debt. Usually, that's what yeah. it is, right? Yeah. I bring this things like, yeah, okay, I can do this fast because hey, I'm getting this requirement. We need to get it done, but I should have done it this way because of this, because I need to connect eventually to this other system. But that's not a priority right now, right? My right. my customer is not asking for that right now. So let me get this thing done, and then. We just call it debt. It just goes into the list of things that we will one day get to, but yeah, we lose it. Right. Yeah. So you've, you've got this integration or technical debt. You've got proliferation of data models. What, what other big problems come out of the application-centric approach? You know, and, the, and this is just a coincidence of what's happened, but there, there tends to be, and it's partly because it's code and not model-driven, uh, a lot of dependency on, on the existing infrastructure and all kinds of things like that. So, you know, a lot of the application quagmire leads you into applications that will eventually become technologically obsolete. You know, about half the time when somebody has to go replace a ERP system or any of these things, it's because, gee, we no longer support database. Database? <laughs> How did you get on database, you know, or stuff like that? You just go, you know, power builder. What? (laughs) The short term over the long term. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, so we, we enter into this quagmire because on day one, we bought one application. And then on day two, we built another application and we start buying applications to go solve problems, but we never think about how this application needs to go connect to something else. Yeah. So if we were thinking about the connection of this stuff. You would say, oh, if I go buy another application, I'm just adding more silos. So you actually think about it and saying, okay, is there some way to put this all together in a in a, in a, in a better way, which would be a single model about that? Yeah. So, so why don't, people get this. I mean, I mean, we're, we're, we're having a very logical conversation. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but what do people's like, ah, I don't care. I'm, 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 I'm fine with the status quo. I mean, maybe it's like, Oh, 
I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a, our company's going to get acquired in five years, whatever. It's like, it's going to be somebody else's problem. I'm just, I'm mm-hmm. just trying to be efficient for the first five years or whatever. I mean, what, what's, why don't people get this? Well, let, let's, let's start, you know, follow the money. There's, there's several large industries that don't want to hear this message. The systems integration industry definitely does not want to hear this. They're, they're making money. The faster you can build silos, the more work for system integrators, right? That's a big industry. The application software industry is another one that doesn't want to hear this message because every, every application is another silo. They don't, they don't want to say, oh, gee, if you just, if you just have one model and, and little bits of lightweight functionality on it, you know, who's going to pay hundreds of millions of dollars for that? You go, yeah, who is going to pay? And that's stupid. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of inertia and perverse incentives and all kinds of reasons not to do this. In in fact, I think what it's going to take is for the customers, the the businesses to retake their own destiny. You know, I think they've, they've been uh, led along by vendors and systems integrators for too long. So you don't see, uh, you don't see an easy path where the systems integrators and the vendors are the ones taking companies to the promised land. You see it as being a revolution from within. Absolutely. Absolutely. The incentives are too, you know, if you, if you can, if you can do these things for, you know, an initial cut, couple of projects for a few million instead of a hundred million, system integrator realizes, God, I'd have to sell a hundred of those projects to make the same margin I've got off one ERP implementation. Why would I do that? Well, this is an interesting point. And John brings up a good question here. How much does human exceptionalism play into data model propagation? I.e., every special case needs to be handled, right? This mm-hmm. happens all the time. It's like, oh, my, I'm like, I'm really complex or, or, or my data is big. No, my data is bigger, right? Yeah, but my situation right. is, 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 it's more, I, I can't, it's impossible to have a single model because my scenario is too complex. How much of that is true? How much of that is just pure BS? It's mostly BS. We haven't, we haven't seen, I, I've yet to see an enterprise that's fundamentally really complex. You go in, in fact, every once in a while, <laughs> I got involved with these guys who were going to join a consortium to, to solve the heat exchanger problem. And this was like a billion dollar consortium. Everybody was going to be in on it, you know, Microsoft and Google, but Emerson and people who build heat exchangers. And, and I'm just going billion dollars god this must be way more complex than we thought but anyhow we finally get the opportunity to go in and build a a prototype of a heat exchanger knowledge graph and loaded all their data in it you know from the drawings and the plans and the iot and everything else and we looked at it and go yeah actually that wasn't very complicated Why did you guys think this was complicated? I love, so in, in, in the book, I think at the end of chapter one, you say, by the way, if you make your living selling or implementing these bloated systems, you should probably just throw this book down now. Yep. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear the reality of this stuff. Well, all right, let's, let, we're being a bit kind of negative and bleak about everything. Let's, let's figure out, the, let's turn this a little bit more positive here. 
how do you how how should we start? And 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 I want to think about this from a technology like well, we already we already talked about technology, right? You said knowledge yeah. graphs, use semantics wisely, model driven everything. Let's yeah. talk about from the people side because you said this is not something you go buy, right? Gartner's right. not going to hype this up. So from a people perspective and processes, how do you see this? You know that what we've seen the most successful. It, most of the people who, who get this initially, unfortunately, are in the IT department. They see what's going on. They, they see the problem, but they can't get any traction in the IT department. And so they, they have to leave the IT department, which is easier these days than it's ever been. Because right now, everybody's doing digital transformation. Well, digital transformation is just a catchphrase for the business retaking over part of the IT budget which is okay, that's actually a good thing. If you're in IT, <clears throat> go find your digital transformation champion. So wait, 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 I, let's repeat that. A digital transformation is just another way of the business people taking over the IT budget? Yeah. I love that definition. This is, that's an honest no BS definition for digital that's no transformation. BS. That's no yep. BS right there. Yep. yep. And it, you know, it's true everywhere I, I see it. That's exactly what, and, and that's a good thing. So it's the chief data officer, it's the, application team or it's the line of business or it's some other part of the organization that that is driving this 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 disruption sometimes sometimes with it's approval and oftentimes without it right right exactly yeah sometimes they're leading it and sometimes they're just ignoring it and it, it works either way actually um you know you mentioned the chief data officer sometimes it's the chief data officer but but god i get the impression just flicking around from client to client that that about 80% of chief data officers are more concerned about data governance than they are about actually making progress. And data governance so is- This is what we talk about. Like the, the, they're, they're focused on, oh, let, the risk, let's make sure people yes. don't access the yes. data. Defense. This is, yes. right, the defense and a lot of like, yes. we gotta be offensive about this. What we always say is like, exactly. the, why are the brakes in your car? They're not to go slow. They're to enable you to go fast safely. Like we got to think about it that way. Yep. Yeah. So the the although some some of the CDOs get it and, and want to lead the charge, but you're more likely to find that all these people have like somebody I just talked to today was um, they were in charge. They're the vice president of the digital marketing platform. You know, everybody always asks when you go when you go marketing what. What title are you looking for? God, I, you know, some, some of these titles are so made up, um, but, you know, that's a good one. Vice president of marketing digital platform or digital. It actually marketing. kind of sounds like a fun job. I think I might like that job. It's it kind of <laughs> a cool job because this guy has a hundred people working for him, half of whom are developers and the other half are marketers. I mean, I think that'd be very cool. Is that a key aspect of what drives success with a data-centric approach? I know, Juan, you talk a lot about the knowledge scientist, the knowledge engineer, really marrying technical and domain expertise mm -hmm. together. Is that a key ingredient here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But And sometimes it, it can succeed by being launched out of IT, but statistically, it seems more likely to be successful not launched out of IT. So, so how do we how do we prepare organizations to think about this? And I'm also thinking, it's like, 
we have to go higher, right? We have to go set up new teams. Org structures need to change. I mean, uh, the, the, the head of talent needs to be involved on how to bring in, who are these new types of roles? Like, are we actually, I mean, I think, I personally think we're starting to see this with the with the kind of the rise of the data product manager and, and people thinking mm-hmm. about treating data as a product. I think we're going in the right direction. Right. Is, is there, is, is that it? Are we, are we, are we on the right direction? Let's just keep going. Or is there something that we're missing? No, I think, I think that's right. I think the other thing though, instead of redoing the whole organization, all this kind of stuff, it's, it's, this stuff is still abstract enough that it's hard to sell. And you, you, I'm sure you've noticed that, but if you can, if you can get a beachhead, if you can do not a proof of concept, but a real pilot, if you can actually get real data in a real knowledge graph, and people can see what it is, that's when the light goes on. Up to that point, it sounds so abstract that only a few thought leaders are really gonna get where it's going. But once they see it, they go, oh, oh. And somebody, now all of a sudden, somebody has to be in charge of it. And then they all start scrambling. What are they actually seeing? Just, you know, typically, well, we we say, we, we have this, uh, organizing principle we call competency questions. So if you can express a question that currently has people going off into multiple different systems and building spreadsheets and doing analysis and coming back with the answer two or three days from now, if you can, if you can express that as a question and then say, gee, if you harmonize all this data in the, in the data-centric knowledge graph and you just run a query, you get your answer. Maybe you see it as a graphic, maybe you see it as a table. It doesn't really make that much difference which way you see it. The, the, the issue is they have to see questions being answered that were previously difficult to answer. Yeah, so I, I always talk about this as there, there's two, I like to frame there's two aspects. One is what are things that you cannot do today that mm-hmm. you'd like to get done, right? Yep. What are those questions? And yep. then another one is, what are those questions that are, are are really important questions that are just too painful to answer because it just takes too much time, it takes too much effort, and like all that stuff. So what are those? And I think what we want to go do is, you, we basically say we can do better. Yeah. What we do better is, well, you couldn't do it, so if I can do it, that already is better. And yeah. and then if you already know these important questions that take too much time, money, effort, whatever, you have a baseline there. Then you say, let's literally, let's go place a bet. I'm going to bet you that I can do this better. And by better, I have a wording metrics to go quantify this. Yep. Let me go at it. And I think we should just literally kind of place bets on this stuff and saying, if yep. I do better, I win. And let's do it again. If you don't believe me, we'll do it again. At, at some point you're like, okay, shoot, you're, 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 yeah, you, this is the way to go do it. I think, I think that's the way how we have to get people to go challenge and, and I don't know, let's just start placing bets about this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Make it about the ROI, right? In that case, it seems yeah. like our, the return on investment here is, you know, you're getting the insights faster, in some cases immediately and mm-hmm. more productive, able to bridge together more pieces of context. Um, seems like the ROI here is pretty clear to, clear to articulate, right? If, if you actually choose to do so. Yeah. The, the, the tricky bit is if you lean too hard into ROI, you get back to being too agile and just solving the immediate problem and, and forget. So there, there is a balancing act. You say, how, how can I get the ROI and still be future proof? Don't just think about yeah. the next two weeks or the next yeah. quarter. Right. Bigger. Right. 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 Yeah. All right. So 
I, I told Dave 30 minutes fly by, right? This is what yeah. there's still a couple more yeah. things I want to get by. Yeah. How do we, so two things I want, how do you, so somebody who gets it inside an organization and they're just around people who are just negative Nancy's like, what is your, what is your suggestion about uh, how to help them change? And I, my immediate answer is you force people, they can't force them. We like send them these books. Like right. I literally, I have, I have spent a lot of my own personal money buying these books. Uh, so send it out to people because this is just for me, the way they get it. But I, I got my books from Juan. <laughs> <laughs> no, but wh- how, how do you convince, what are, what do you give? How, what are the tools you give people to go convince others about this, about to be part of this revolution? Yeah. Well, the books is a good one. <laughs> go buy the book. Um, you know, it- you just have to find somebody who's willing to, like you say, to make a bet. Somebody, because in the absence of that, you just, it's just business as usual. So somebody, so you just need to go find a, a fellow comrade. <laughs> a sponsor. You know, typically, typically it's somebody with more budget than you have. And then, okay, so, so and then from, okay, let's say you, you, knew you have the budget. How do you actually start? Well, we have, we have a methodology, we call it think big, start small. And, and the way we got to that, we used to only think big. We used to just do enterprise ontologies and give them to people and think that we had done them a real favor. And then they just put them on the shelf, which really pissed us off. And then we noticed, you know, everybody's agile. They just start small, but we realized they're just recreating, they're creating semantic silos. So we said, no, 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 you have to actually do both of those together at the same time. You have to do enough of the enterprise ontology such that your first experiment is gonna seamlessly integrate into the future. So that's the trick. You have to, you have to put that scope together. It doesn't have to be huge, but it has to be you know, big enough to, to do that or else you're, you're, just, you're just in a cul-de-sac. What I, what I always say, right? Uh, don't boil the ocean, start small. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I'm gonna boil this mud puddle here. I think, yeah, that's for sure. But and then again, we want to be able to go tie everything to a success criteria. But, but I think you'd want to have that vision of, okay, this is successful. There's something that's going to build upon this and go keep going. Yeah. yeah don't, don't think so small that it, is, it doesn't create impact, right? Yeah. It has to, it has to be, the impact has to be big and part of a larger roadmap. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think there's a lot of food for thought here. I think we really, uh, this is something that, again, I want, I truly want people to understand the problem, right? I think if we don't, we don't really value the, uh, value the situation we're in because we don't really understand this problem. And I think that's why, um, I mean, I, I'm truly genuinely in a big Dave fanboy for the book because it just, it, it's just, it, it's, um, I'm looking here at, at a quote from one of my colleagues, Will, who said, Software late wasteland made me realize that we, as in everyone in the enterprise software industry, they're doing everything wrong. And, <laughs> and, and, and that's because we buy an application, buy an application, so forth. So I think this is my message to everybody who's listening here. Please, please read Software Wasteland to really understand what the problem is. If you don't understand what the problem is, I mean, we won't even understand why we need all these solutions that are coming out. And, and we'll just, at the end of the day, we're just going to go reinvent the wheel and, come and keep, keep expanding this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, we always like to wrap up with our takeaways. Tim, Tim, take a Tim, a T T T. Tim takes away our takeaways. Takeaways, <laughs> taking away. Um, I mean, there's a lot here that's that's really exciting. And 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 first of all, really appreciate your time, Dave, today. You know, I, I think one of the biggest things that that really stood out to me is the fact that you're talking about you know, building some traction and showing it and then really tying it to the value that can really have an impact on the organization. And, and I think that your phrase that you kind of ended up here with that's, you know, think big, start small, that fits a lot with what we've been talking about on this show mm -hmm. and what you obviously, and, and the folks you work with are seeing that is successful. You, you have to have you know, uh, a big vision of how you want to make change. And then you want to deliver against that change in, in smart and agile ways, but don't use agile as an excuse to do small things. So I right, think exactly. that sounds, that sounds yeah. great. Right on. Yeah. My, I got so many takeaways here. One is data centric, no honest, no BS, simple, single extensible data model. Yeah. Instead of all the hundreds of data models we have in there, you, it's not a technology. You can't buy it, it requires discipline the whole technical depth thing, right? I think we talk about technical depth is within an application, but hey, our applications don't live by themselves. They talk to other applications. So we really have a lot of integration debt and we really need to acknowledge that and make sure we address that. I love the no, the honest no BS definition of digital transformation. It's just business taking the budget away from IT. Love that. Um, this was a, such a fantastic conversation, Dave. Uh, always two final questions. One, what's your advice? Very broad question about anything. And second, who should we invite next to the show? Let's see, advice. Um, you know, we, we put an, out an ad once a long time ago. We were looking for developers in this enterprise we were in. And, and we said something about joining our plan to take over the world. And one of the respondents writes back and says, you know, if you're, if you're looking for taking over the world, my advice is, don't invade Russia in the winter. So that's my that's my first piece of advice. Don't invite don't invade Russia in the winter. Um, in terms of people to invite, uh, have you had Jan's Osman on the show yet? We you know haven't, Jan? but Jan's, if you're listening, we're gonna send you this. You're gonna get you're gonna be on the show for sure. Love yep, it. Yep, he's always got interesting things to say. Um, do you know Parsa Mahaji at Montefiore? I, I do know Parsa, yeah. Yeah, I think he'd be a good one. Okay, excellent. Love this. Yeah. Anything, anyone else? Nothing on a roll there? You know, yeah. Um, we just did a little partnership with this firm called Visual Meaning. And the, the head guy is named Steve Whitla. Um, and they have created this way to make visually, artistically beautiful uh, they, at first, they just look like infographics. Then you start drilling into them, and there's an ontology, and it and it gets smarter, and and it's, it's like zooming in a Google Earth that the resolution changes, and all of a sudden there's more information, and all this is really, you know, I've never seen anything like it. It's kind of fantastic. That sounds awesome. We, we got to right. find a, an example of that and drop it in the Slack channel. We got a little community. Yeah, the, you know, their website isn't very good, frankly. I've seen. He's presented several things that aren't on his website, um, but it's, you know, you can look at the website. It's visual meaning. Okay. All right. Well, 
to wrap up, thanks Dave again. And just a quick reminder is don't forget the Knowledge Graph Conference. You can get, get your tickets at knowledgegraph.tech, a special 10% discount with the code CCKGC. Uh, the early bird closes next Monday and we're gonna have a special edition of Catalog and Cocktails over there. And next week, we're gonna be talking about data science and education. Uh, with Professor George Fletcher from the Technical University of Eindhoven, where we're going to be talking a lot about what's next for uh, education and data science. And I think a lot of this knowledge science and knowledge work topic is going to come up. Dave, thank you so much for yeah. enlightening us on this, uh, on, on this path to the data-centric revolution. And everybody, go get your book, Software Wasteland and the Data-Centric Revolution. Great. Thanks for having Cheers. me on, Tim. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks so much, Dave.